Welcome to Journey in the Word with Pastor Randy Mosher of Calvary Chapel, the Cumberland Valley. We are located in Hagerstown, Maryland. Please join us every weekday as our pastor takes us verse by verse through a book of the Bible. Today, we're picking up in the Gospel of Luke, where the writer emphasizes the ministry that Jesus had to the poor and hurting and our need for a Savior. All of these being validated by the Old Testament prophecies about Christ. So if you're able, grab your Bibles and join us as we continue our journey in the Word. This is what happened in the church of Ephesus not long after the church was established and definitely not long after Jesus had physically walked the earth. But these were a group of believers who come to faith in Christ. And, and, and along the way, yes, they continued to serve. They continued to, to, to be connected to him in relationship with him. But suddenly, subtly, things began to change. They, they'd lost that sense of what it was like when they first came to faith in him. They'd lost that piece of it. And, and, and it was so much so that did Jesus rebuke them? Look, it's not that we don't love Jesus. But it's that Jesus does not hold that amazing and powerfully supernatural place in our lives that he once held. We've, we've integrated him as a normal part of our life rather than seeing him in the powerfully unique role that we did at first. And as such, I think that we miss what, what even he wants to be in our lives and to do in and through us. He has become a part of things in our life, but not the priority of our life anymore, not the focus of our life in the same way anymore. Peter fell into that trap as well. After, uh, even after Jesus' resurrection, Peter decided to go back to his life as normal. <laughs> Think about it. John chapter 21, verses 1 through 3. John 21, verse 1. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way, he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we are going with you also. They went out and immediately got into the boat. And that night they caught nothing. Now, look, I know that there's a lot of dynamics to Peter's life. You know, part of what's motivating Peter. And by the way, when he says he's going back to fishing, it doesn't mean, hey, I think I'll go fishing today. That's not what he's saying. It ain't like me grabbing my rod and going out to the stream for the day. He's talking about going back to what his life was. He's talking about going back and just turning back the clock and going back to what he was doing before Jesus was here. Now, look, we know that Jesus was still a part of Peter's life. I'm not taking away from that. But Peter was drifting back to his normal existence and then letting Jesus just simply be a part of that normal life, but not in the extraordinary way that Jesus wanted to be. Now, again, the dynamics with Peter are a little different because we understand that part of it is the guilt that he felt after his betrayal with Jesus. I mean, he was in the place I've seen Christians in after they have sinfully failed where they just feel I can no longer be of any use for Jesus. It's not that I don't believe Jesus in my life, but, but he'll never use me again. And they just go back to their life as it was. And I understand that with Peter. And yet at the same time, there's more of to that because we know that because the rest of the boys are going to go back with him to fishing. They're all going back, and they all didn't fail him in the same way that Peter did. What is it? They want Jesus as a part of their life, but they're drifting back to their normal existence. They want to go back to the way it was. 
And Jesus would have to come. And like the church of Ephesus, he'd have to shake Peter out of that complacent tendency and remind him of who exactly he was and, and the unique and life-changing call he had upon him as the Son of God and, and who Jesus was to him, trying to get back into the forefront of Peter's life and not just being a part of his life. And look, it's a, it's a natural tendency. I honestly believe that the Lord is not that he's done the events that we're dealing with in this time frame to, to specifically do this, but there is a sense in my heart that he's trying to shake us out of our complacency like this, out of the normal. And yet I see so many Christians that just, I want to get back to the way things were. I want to get back to normal. I just want things to go back to the way they were. But what, what if that's not what Jesus has for us? What, what, what if Jesus is saying the normal, where I was in the normal was just a part of your life, but I wasn't the priority of your life. If, if the normal is me just being a part of your life, then I need to shake the normal. I need to be the priority of your life. And that may look different. It may feel different. It may be even uncomfortable. But if it's where it needs to be so that I can be the priority, then that's where I'll be. And that's what I want. Look, we have choices before us even now. Kind of talking about what I was talking about in the beginning of how we're living through this. The world's watching us, but, but it's even more than the world. It's ourselves. I, I have to tell you honestly, I, it's not that there aren't things in my life that I'd like to see get back to some consistency again. But the truth is, I, I don't want to go to the complacency. I don't want to be in the same place I was where Jesus was just assumed. That he was just part of the fabric of my life, but not the priority of my life standing out. He wants to be that for all of us. Sometimes things have to get upended for that to occur. So it's a normal tendency. It's a normal tendency. But I would tell you this, it's one we need to resist. It's one that we need to resist. And so it is that Jesus, in an astonished way, says to his parents, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But it's clear from verse 50 that they simply didn't get it. Because verse 50 says, but they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. Why? Because they'd not grown over those 12 years. They just settled in. When we settle in, we don't grow. When we settle in, we miss the miraculous nature of Jesus. And what he's doing, not just in our lives, but in our world. We must not settle in like this. Well, look on. He says, goes on in verse 51. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. I've always found this verse in particular quite interesting. Despite knowing who he himself was, the son of God, God in the flesh, Jesus submits himself to their authority. Yeah, even after they weren't growing and seeing who he was, he still goes back with them and submits himself to their authority. But wait, he's, he's the son of God. He doesn't need to, He submits himself to their authority. Why? Because as the embodiment of the law, Jesus always kept the law perfectly. 
and the law required submission of a child to a parent. I mean, it was, it was codified right in the, the very forefront of the law in the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20 and verse 12. Exodus 20 and verse 12, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. Right there it is. And Jesus is the embodiment of the law. He honored his father, his earthly father and mother by submitting himself to their authority as their child. He also would have known the the law about rebellious children, and not that he would have feared that, but he understood God's intent behind it. But in Deuteronomy 21, verses 18 through 21, Deuteronomy 21, verse 18, if a man has a stubborn and rebellious son, that would mean one that doesn't submit, who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and who when they have chastened him will not heed them, then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring out to, bring him out to the elders of the city, to the gate of this city, and they shall say to the elders of his city, this son of ours is stubborn and rebellious, he will not obey our voice, he is a glutton and a drunkard, then all the men of his city shall stone him to death with stones, so you shall put away the evil from among you, and all Israel shall hear and fear. And doesn't that certainly give new meaning to, I brought you into this world, I can take you out. (laughs) Praise God for the new covenant, though, and, and our understanding of the law, because certainly this is not the intent for us to do to our children. God turned to mankind and gave them laws like this because this is pure and, and unbridled righteousness. This is righteousness in its strictest form. And remember, the law was given because men thought they could do it for themselves. Adam and Eve thought that they could be like God, that they could attain the status of God in their own lives on their own. The children of Israel then were given the law and told, here's the standard. You want to be righteous, keep the standard. And the standards are harsh. And the idea behind this has to do with rebellion and non-submission. And God says elsewhere in the scriptures that to him, rebellion is like witchcraft. It's, it's unholy. It's, un, it's an abomination to him. And in here it plays out in this. Now, again, this is not for us to follow. We look at the New Testament, and certainly it's not Jesus' heart as he lays it out. And it's not that he's changed the law, but he came to fulfill the law in himself and to impute the righteousness to us that we don't have to do these things, but it still doesn't change the fact that rebellion is still reprehensible to God, whether it's in our lives or the lives of our children. But Jesus here, he understood the law. And understanding the law, he kept it in submission to his parents' authority. But but I would argue he kept it for more reasons than just being the fulfillment of the law. He also kept it because of his nature, and his nature was that of humility. Paul tells us in Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11, Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11, please don't miss verse 5 and what it's saying to us, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on the earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus' nature was one of humility. 
His nature was one of humility. And so it was only, it wasn't only that he wanted to be a law keeper. It's because humility compelled him to submit himself to his parents' authority, just as he would submit himself to his father's authority when he faced the cross of Calvary. Mm. And so it is that Jesus, still a child under the authority of earthly parents, he submits himself to them, even though he, he, he's keenly aware of, of who he is. He knows who he is. But he submits to them. And once again, we're told that Mary, seeing all these things, she just tucks it all away in her heart. I told you this comes up a lot. I told you that last week and the week before. We keep seeing it, and I love it means that Mary was seeing these early events. She apparently didn't understand it all. And she just tucked it away until she would. And we know that her full understanding was opened up after the resurrection of Jesus. Look, I would encourage you again, you don't need to understand everything, but don't discard it because you don't understand it. Tuck it away. Study it. Chew on it. Wait. In God's timing, he'll open your heart and understanding to it. And by the way, you'll also note that this is the last time that we're going to see any mention of Joseph. This will be the last time. And, and it is safe for us to assume that he's not mentioned any longer that because at some point before Jesus' crucifixion, he apparently died. We, we make that assumption because there's no indication, no indication in the scriptures would even hint that Joseph would have abandoned Mary, divorced Mary. But at Jesus' crucifixion, remember, Jesus turns uh, Mary over to others, to, to John in particular. And um, clearly it's because Joseph is not on the scene anymore. And the assumption is he's dead. But he is around long enough to, to father some children with Mary. Jesus had at least six half-siblings. Matthew chapter 13, verses 54 through 56, and Mark chapter 6 and verse 3 tells us that they included his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, as well as two sisters, at least two other sisters, it tells us. And so clearly, uh, Joseph fathered children through Mary that became half-siblings of Jesus. But by Jesus' crucifixion, Joseph is clearly absent and the safe assumption, again, is that he died. You know, that really blows a hole in the notion promoted by the faith and prosperity teachers that Jesus heals everyone who has enough faith. <laughs> yeah, the teaching's out there. And I, I just got to tell you, I scratch my head that the Christians have even given ear to that. I do believe that Jesus heals. I do believe that he asks for us to have faith in, in the fact that he can heal, but, but I do not, and I reject the notion, and the scriptures clearly reject the notion, that the fact that someone isn't healed is because they don't have enough faith. I mean, seriously, from what we know about Joseph, who, who of us could say he didn't have enough faith to be healed in his life, and, and yet Jesus clearly didn't heal him? He didn't resurrect him from the dead physically, on the earth as he did some others, he didn't. And it had nothing to do with Joseph's faith. No, Jesus simply chose not to heal his earthly father for whatever divine reason he chose not to do it. And there are people who even today, Jesus does not heal for his own divine reasons. I don't question those. I ask by faith to be healed, but I don't question and I accept by faith when he chooses not to. I sometimes argue it takes more faith to accept his answer of no in healing us than it does to receive the healing from him. Because that's a harder one when I really want that and I don't get it and yet I must trust. 
well, pastor, why doesn't he heal? Why would he ignore some? I don't know. Maybe it's because there's something he's going to teach you through it. Maybe it's because he's going to use the infliction that you've got in your life to touch somebody else's life. Maybe it's because he just needs to put you on the bed for a little while so you'll slow down and hear some of the things he's teaching. I don't know any more than I can answer the question of why Job went through Job went through personally. I can answer the question what God was doing on a greater divine scale. We don't have all the answers. By faith, we don't demand all the answers. Our faith and trust is in him, whether he says yes or he says no. Hmm. Look at verse 52, and we'll conclude with this today. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. And so... We're we're told once again that in these interim years of which the scriptures are silent, Jesus continues to grow spiritually, physically, and is in relationship with his heavenly father. Someone that when you think about it, he had to learn to, to relate to in unfamiliar constraints. Remember, Jesus is 100% God, but he's also 100% human. He is the God-man, and and although he could relate to God in the divine way because he is God himself, but yet he had to learn to relate through the constraints of his human flesh. That had to be tough. And that's why it says elsewhere in Scripture that he knew what it was to be tempted in all ways that we are. You know, and yet without sin. And so he, he, he grew in his relationship with his heavenly Father. But note this. And with men, in general, in favor with God and with men. I just point that out to to kind of conclude on what I was talking about earlier when we first began today. The world's watching us. The world is watching us. And and yeah, some of the world is watching us throw rocks at us. And some are just watching because they're looking for hope. I want to grow in favor with men. Now, people hear that word and they immediately think, well, what you're saying is you're one of those preachers. What's the word now? Woke? I guess that's the word. I don't even know what that means. I keep hearing it, but okay, woke. I do know this. It definitely implies compromising. (laughs) That's not what this is talking about. Do you think that when it says that Jesus grew in favor with men, that the favor was because he compromised truth? because he didn't call sin, sin, because he looked the other direction. No. And yet at the same time, he grew in favor with men because he reached out to sinful human beings around him. It's interesting to me that the people he didn't grow in favor with were the religious pious, the, the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders. But the people he did grow in favor with were the sinners. It was the, 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 the sexual adulterers. It was the homosexuals. It was the partiers. It was all these other people who had no hope and were just living their lives for themselves. And yet we know that Jesus reached out and touched them in a way that no one else did, connected with them in ways that no one else did. That, that call has not changed. That's now our role. We're to go into all the world and make disciples. And we can't simply make disciples of of just the people who like what we have to say. Jesus didn't avoid those who didn't like what he had to say. He reached out to them. 
He didn't compromise the truth, but he reached out to them. And he cared about them. And he showed love and grace toward them. I think that's so important for us to understand today because, as I've often said, we're, we're now, and in, in, in this world of social media and television and everything else that we see, we're getting so angry. We're getting so angry at a world around us that does not know Jesus. And we're not here to push them away. We're here to reach out to them. We're here to share the good news that has saved us. Look, if, if we're not saved because we're better. We're saved because we believed. And now God has placed us here to reach out with that same message of hope, just like Jesus did when he came, and to connect with these people. Yes, sometimes that means not liking what they have to say, but at least listening to what they have to say. Well, why would I listen to what somebody who's wrapped up in all kinds of evil stuff is saying? Because by listening to them, you may very well open up the door to be invited to come and speak into their life. There are people in my past who I have reconnected with in recent years who are not believers today. They definitely weren't when I knew them then. And in fact, one, one individual in particular was one of my greatest antagonists. <laughs> I mean, you talk about a mind that was corrupted by all kinds of things, just carnal kinds of sinful things. And in years later, I've connected with him. And though a lot of those attitudes haven't changed, what has sort of amazed him is that as we talk through various means, mostly through, you know, just messaging back and forth, that I don't jump all over him. Oh, he knows I don't condone what he believes, but I don't jump all over him over what he believes, nor do I begin to browbeat him with what I believe, but I have the conversation with him. I have conversations with him. I ask him some pointed questions. When he says something, I'll ask him, well, why do you believe that? Well, you won't want to know anyways. Yeah, I do. Help me understand why you believe what you're believing and why you're doing what you're doing. Help me understand that. And I do it with all sincerity, with all grace. And I don't belittle him on the back end by simply looking and saying, well, that's sin and you're going to go to hell. It is sin and he is going to go to hell if he doesn't repent and believe in Christ. But what I reach out with is the message of gospel of why I believe what I believe and why what he's doing I believe is wrong. Why it's sin. Not because I've determined it to be sin, as I've often said to many people, a lot of things you're doing that I now see as sin are things that if I didn't believe in Jesus, I'd be out doing too. <laughs> but I came to Christ and I received him and, and I look at his word and I believe his word to be true. And the longer I've walked with him, the more true it's become to me. And I understand the things that, that God finds offensive, sinful. And so it's not my standard, it's God's standard, and I share it with him. And there have been times in this dialogue that I've had with him where he's actually come back and said to me, you know what? I see what you're saying. I see your argument. It's true. I just choose not to believe it. You know what? Many of us would find that latter statement, I see it as true. I choose not to believe it as almost offensive in itself. I'm at peace with that. Oh, not peace for him, but I'm at peace that I have at least communicated in a way that he's been able to hear it, that he's been able to receive what it is I was saying. And in the end, what he chooses to do with that, well, that's going to be between him and, his, and between him and the Lord. I'm not responsible for the decision he will now make. 
I'm not even responsible for beating him into submission to believing what I believe. But I do want to have the conversation in such a way that he'll at least listen to what I have to say. And we can't do that if we're not invited into the lives of people. Jesus met with all of the sinners. Jesus, in, he didn't embrace them, and yet he showed grace toward them in his dialogue and interactions, interactions with them so that he would have an opportunity to speak into their lives. The woman at the well, the woman caught in adultery, many, many more. So that he, even the Pharisees going to their home when invited so that he could have the conversation with them and be invited in to do that. And I believe that's still there for us to do today. And in that regard, we need to understand that God's desire is for us to grow in favor with men, not through compromise, but in favor in the sense that we would treat them in such a way, such a respectful manner, that we could have the dialogue with them and hopefully have that open door that he could then open, the Holy Spirit could then open for us to have a dialogue of the hope that rests in us, in Jesus. Rests in Jesus, but dwells in us that we know for our own lives. Amen? I hope that makes sense to you guys, but I love that. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. May it be so with us as well. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Journey in the Word, a verse-by-verse teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel of the Cumberland Valley. If you would like to listen to more teachings or find out more information about us, go to www.journeyintheword.org. That's www.journeyintheword.org. Thanks again for listening. We hope you'll tune in for our next episode as we continue our Journey in the Word.